biggest difference, at least from my experience, was the suffering and the investment for the future, maybe vague kind of feeling of achieving something that would make me look good to others versus this is a thing rooted in an actual thing I want to do. Like if I didn't tell anybody, like with Paris, literally did not tell social media until I was, until I was there. I did not do anything. And I, it was purposeful to do that because I had lived so much of my life in all honesty, hate to even have to admit this, but it's true. So much of my life doing things to show it off to others. Look at this big thing I can do. Look at this, look at this, look at this. And I hate, I don't like to admit that, but it's the truth. That was Jamie Varon, and you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 125. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. I can't tell you how glad I am that you're listening in today. And I want to take a minute right here at the top of the show to quickly share some appreciation, give out a little thank you. Thank you for listening to this show. I know there's tons of podcasts out there. Thank you for valuing honest conversations. Thank you for being open to hearing from guests whose lived experiences and opinions might be different from your own. That's huge. And that's what we do here. And thanks for the more tangible stuff as well, for taking two minutes or less probably to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening from. Seriously, it's just huge help in spreading the word and helping new people find us. So I really appreciate you taking a second to do that. And thank you, thank you so much for supporting and funding the show on Patreon. This is truly a community-funded podcast now, which means that we have complete freedom to come together with more honesty than ever before, and I am so grateful for that. I have a really wonderful guest to introduce you to today, but first, in case you're new to this show, I'd love to quickly explain what it is that we do here. So at the heart of it, my guests and I are really committed to one simple but powerful thing, telling the truth about our lives. No one's here to sell you anything. No one's trying to get you to fix yourself or your life. I certainly don't have any magic bullet 10-day six-step life hack plans for anything. (laughs) As a recovering self-help junkie myself, I am totally over that approach. And my guess is that maybe you are too. Maybe that's even what brought you here. So no, that's not what this show's about. Here at Real Talk Radio, I sit down with athletes, writers, entrepreneurs, parents, coaches, adventurers, artists, activists, and tons of others, and we dive deep into meaningful topics. We talk about work, love, sex, money, addiction, friendship, racism, body image, mental health, grief, fear, courage, change, and everything in between. It's definitely an adult podcast that covers adult subjects, which means that we do often use adult language, so there's your little language warning, Um, and we never shy away from telling the unfiltered truth in an open and honest way, even when it's uncomfortable, and sometimes it is. So with this mission in mind, you won't hear any ads or sponsor promotions. These honest conversations are 100% listener-funded, made possible by awesome regular people like you who give $8 or more per eight-episode season. The show is and always will be free, but if you love it, if these conversations make you laugh, think, or just feel less alone, I hope you'll go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more per eight episode season. You've probably heard me say this before, but I really do believe that where we spend our money, how we spend our money, that's a real time vote for the kind of world that we want to live in. And when you help fund this show, you're voting for a world of honest, judgment-free conversations. 
You're voting to hear more stories from a wide-ranging group of people, the vast majority of whom are women. So when you support this show, you're saying loudly and proudly that women's voices deserve to be heard and that no topic should be off limits due to fear or shame. This is a show by truth tellers for truth tellers. And as a thank you for supporting the show, you'll get access to over 40 hours of bonus content, as well as our monthly book club, which is super fun. My weekly behind the scenes email series where I share my real life in real time. It's probably, I mean, I'm, I'm vulnerable on the show for sure, but the weekly emails are where I share a lot of my real life as it's happening. Um, and you'll also be the first to know when tickets go on sale for Real Talk Live events and other upcoming events in the future. There are three different funding levels that you can see over on Patreon. There's an $8 level, a $16 level, and a $25 level, each with their own unique, awesome bonuses. Everything that I just mentioned is at the $8 level. Um, up at the $25 level, we do live group Google Hangouts. And oh my gosh, those are so much fun. But again, you can check all that out over on Patreon. So one more time, it's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. And at the very end of this episode, you'll actually get to meet one of our Patreon community members who joins me for a fun little rapid fire question round. So stick around for that after the main episode for sure. And now let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Jamie Varon. Jamie is a writer and designer currently based in Paris, France. She's a one-woman show for her company, Shatterbox, which specializes in branding, creative strategy, and website design. She's also a wonderful writer who's known for sharing frank and honest reflections about her feelings and life. In this episode, Jamie tells the story of the past year of her life, which was the year when she finally started to prioritize her own happiness and well-being over everything else. She talks honestly about what she had to change in order to feel better, the previous dreams that no longer felt like the right fit going forward, and how she handled all of the fear that came up along the way. We dig into an honest conversation that ranges over a ton of topics. We talk about debt, work, personal habits, how isolating it can feel to make different choices from those around you, and so much more. Jamie's one of my very best friends, and it was such a treat to have her back on the show for a second time, this time during a time in her life that's so rich with personal growth. I hope that you love this conversation as much as I did. So all of that starts in just a moment. And as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at NicoleAntoinette.com slash podcast. All right, let's do this. Jamie, welcome back. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. It's always like, I just like had this moment of feeling like, wow, that was way too formal. That's really weird with someone that you talk to all the time, in like very informal ways. It's funny to try to be like, Jamie, hi. <laughs> uh, especially because we have a really weird language that we speak to each other in. So that was really formal for us. I know that just felt really uncomfortable. Okay. Shake it off. Shake it off. <laughs> shake it off. New new intro. Okay. Hello. I know. I know. Right. New intro. Um, okay. So right before we started recording, um, I know that you have had a frustrating day and I asked you to start to tell me about it, but the story that you told me, I was like, wait, this is awesome. I want to do this on recording. So tell me about your day today. <laughs> well, uh, I, as people will find out through this episode, um, I currently live in Paris. And so today we well, actually yesterday, so my husband and I were like, this is too many croissants. We need to join a gym. Like, I just cannot continue to not exercise. That's too much. So we went to the gym and they were like, yeah, you can sign up for this amount and it's month to month, but you need a French bank account. And I was like, what about just paying month to month? No, you need a French bank account to open this. Okay, so I don't want a French bank account, but sure, let's go. We go to the bank today. They don't know. 
if we can open an account based on our visa. They just don't know. And then finally, we get final answers from two places and they say, no, one place says that you can open an account with this paper filled out. I call our rental agency and they say, no, that paper can't exist. We can't give that to you. So now I'm basically just in some sort of like parallel universe where nothing can move forward at all. I still haven't gone to the gym. I still feel like a sack of potatoes. And um, yeah, I don't know what to do because they provide no answers ever. And it is one of those things where you're like, this is what they talk about with the French bureaucracy where you're like, I'm in a loop and I don't know how to get out. <laughs> I just want to work out. I just want to just take my money. <laughs> like, I just want to sweat out some of these baguettes, please. Oh God. <laughs> like, I want to keep eating the baguettes, but. <laughs> yeah, like I'm still going to pay you for baguettes, but I need to get them out of my body because I'm feeling like. I don't know how to use my legs anymore. It's funny. It's all of this like little logistical stuff where it sounds super romantic. I thought oh, I just moved to Paris. And obviously we're going to talk about that whole story. But it's like these things you don't realize like, okay, but I can't just like do my life. You know, you're not there on vacation. You guys moved there. So it's like you want to be able to set up the regular life things and then to find out, okay, wait, actually, I can't do that. Oh, definitely. There's I, I lived here in 2011. Anybody that's known what I've been up to for that long knows that I used to live here. And all of those same things are still existing, all of the same frustrations. And it is all those little things where you're like, you don't realize you're going to miss it. Like, you don't realize you're going to miss Trader Joe's <laughs> until you're in Paris and you think you're supposed to be at the helm of all this amazing food, but you don't know how to grocery shop. You don't know what things are. And why don't they ever have broccoli? Like, I just want broccoli, but also I don't have an oven because that's not standard, apparently, in apartments. So we rented this apartment and then I found out, I saw all the casserole dishes. There's a lot of oven-related dishes, but no oven, which is confusing. <laughs> also, you don't speak French, so minor detail. <laughs> also, I don't speak French. Yeah, I've gotten some messages from people who are like, how did you learn to speak French? And I was like, mm, well, <laughs> you're like, well, shrug emoji. I didn't do that already. So <laughs> shrug emoji. Sorry. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so tell me the story of why you and Hossam decided to move back to Paris. Well, it was a, a spontaneous decision that took three years to make it. So okay. if that makes sense at all. Um, we, so we thought that we were going to like living in Los Angeles. We, when we left Europe, um, cause we had met in Europe when we left Europe, we thought, wow, it's so exciting. We're going to be in America. And then America has not been that great lately. Like if anyone has noticed, uh, that it's just been a trash pile of trash. So we started talking about you know, moving back to Europe. And it seemed like a really far off thing because the first time we went to Europe, we were both illegal. He was from Tunisia and I was from America and both of us were living illegally there. So we didn't go through any of the channels that you're supposed to go through. Probably, um, you know, obviously a good idea considering all the bureaucracy. But so we thought about it for a long time. And essentially the decision came down to, it sounds really mundane, but my car lease was up um, in February of this year. 
And back in like uh, September, October, November, we started thinking about, am I going to get another car? Are we going to really get into another contract with a car or like buy this car out? Because in LA, you need a car. And that was actually the catalyst for making the decision. We were like, we don't want to be in another contract. (laughs) We want to be out of our cars. Let's go. And we made the appointment and applied and somehow we got a really nice person at the French consulate in, um, in LA. And they, they said, yes, like they, they called us within a week and they were like, your visas are ready. We were like, is it a joke? We've been thinking this was going to be the hardest process ever for years and didn't do it because we were so worried it was going to be such a hard process. And then a week later, they're just like, yeah, they're ready. Bye. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, I mean, I remember when I called you when I was going because I was going to be in L.A., whatever that was, like early March for um, the Real Talk Live event. And I thought, oh, like, I'm going to get to see you. We're going to get to do stuff. And you were like, no, no, the visas came really quick. I have to move to France immediately. <laughs> I was like, OK, <laughs> bye. <laughs> well, yeah, because, well, we just put a date down. We were like, OK, March 6th, thinking that we could just leave whenever, like that the visa would be. Um, it would it would come into play when we actually arrived in the country but then when we got the visa they were like you have five days within this day to get into the country or your visa's invalid and we were like okay I guess March 6th we're going <laughs> like we just it was so that's what I'm saying where it was like the most spontaneous decision that actually took us like many years to make because also this is another thing that we're going to eventually talk about but it in the with the French visa process, the way that we went about it, because we didn't need to work here or we don't want to work here, that's a bigger process. You need to have a, a good amount of money saved to show that you can support yourself for as long as your visa. Um, so we asked for a year. So we needed to show that we could support ourselves based on their numbers um, for two people here. And that was actually a big part of the reason also because it was, we had thought about it about a year before that. And at that time we just didn't have them any money saved and we were still in debt and it just felt really bad. It felt like a bad time to do it. And we were thinking maybe we'll just ask my mom to like shuffle some money around. I don't know if my mom even has that kind of money lying around to just shuffle over to us, but we could just like, hide it in our bank account and then take it out. I don't know how we would do that, but, and I just felt like I don't really want to move under those circumstances where I have to like use someone else's money. Like I, I just felt that that wasn't a good move for us. And so it took about a year for us to, and it wasn't like we were saving for that at all. It just happened to work out where it was like, wow, we came to this conclusion without even realizing that we were going to get here. It was really strange and kind of also how life works if we really put the pattern together. But um, that was that was a big part of it, too, was just making sure that we had the money um, to show them that we could support ourselves. Otherwise, we really didn't have a lot of options. We would have just had to take a tourist visa for the 90 days Mm -hmm. and then come back. 
Yeah, the thing I like about this is I feel like, and you and I talk about this all the time, the sort of like, just follow your dreams advice, whatever, which again, like sounds really romantic. Like I quit everything and moved to France or whatever. And uh, to like actually have to step back and look at the fact that the practical realities of things do matter. Sure, it's, it is fun, I guess, sometimes to be able to take those huge leaps or risks, like especially if you're younger or unencumbered or maybe don't have a partner or don't have a car lease or any of those things, but to actually be like, oh no, wait, there are things that need to be put in place in order for me to do this thing. Like these things that seem like really sexy, like can still be, and they can be really fun. And obviously I know that you're super happy to be there now, but that it's like things take time and that we do have to go through those like sluggish steps. It's kind of like how I feel right now about training and preparing for the PCT. Like it sounds so great to just be like day one on the trail and like start this journey and start writing about it on Instagram. And that's going to be super fun. And also a lot of the stuff that's leading up to it is like hard and kind of boring, you know? (laughs) Definitely. That's a really, really, really good point. And I think that it's, it is, it's like, it seems very sexy in the moment when you've made the decision or you've gone and you're in front of the Eiffel Tower and you're like, well, I'm here. Um, But it actually takes to do it right. And to do it the way that feels really good. It takes a lot of time. I mean, it took hours upon hours upon hours to research and make sure that we had all the right things to even apply for the visa. Like, yes, okay, it only took a week for them to say yes, but that's a week plus like months of me going on like support forums and looking up different things and making sure I had, because they say they have the list of things that you need to bring in, but it's not as specific as you want it to be. So you have to look around, you have to make sure you have this and this and this and this. And even something very small that um, I only knew because I saw it on like a forum somewhere was, for example, my driver's license doesn't have my current address on it at the time. It didn't have my LA address. I mean, whose driver's license has a current address? Really, if you've moved around a lot, I mean, it's just anyway. So you have to bring in a utility bill, some sort of tangible bill that shows, and it has to be like a utility or a lease or something like that to show proof of address in Los Angeles to make sure that you can apply at the Los Angeles consulate. And that's not on the website anywhere, but he asked for it in the visa interview. And I had it, thankfully, because I had read that and I just was like overprepared. And I know at this point, because, you know, Hossam, Hossam, I immigrated Hossam through marriage to the US. I know how much paperwork you need. Like you think you have enough, but really you should have more. And so I was just overprepared. And that was one of those things where it's like, it's not the sexiest step. It's not that great. It's exciting to get the visa, but it takes a lot of time to actually go through all of that. And also it took a lot of time for us to save up enough money to show them that we can support ourselves because it's a significant amount of money that they need to show um, in order to say yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, th- there's just some, like something in this. I mean, obviously, it's, if someone is a 
super risk taker, like, you know, fly by the seat of their pants person. That's great too, of course. But I think there's something in this that is comforting for folks who aren't like that. Just this idea that like you can still do big things or you can make significant changes, whatever that looks like. And also you can take it slow that the only way to do something, it's like, it's like really easy to think that the only way to do it is the like, eat, pray, love style, right? Which even that obviously took her a lot of planning, right? That it's just the, I don't know, giving yourself permission to take the steps. And I think that sometimes it's looked down on to need the security or to need to have things in place. And there's this, I don't know, we kind of put on a pedestal, the like flighty, adventurous, like, I don't need anything. I just did it. I just followed the whim, you know, whatever. And it's not as, we keep using the word sexy, but it's not as sexy to like, Get your get your bank account in line and make sure that all of this visa and change your driver's license and those kind of things. And yet, like that's the type of stuff that adventure requires. I feel the same again, back to the PCT. I feel the same way as I'm starting to work on this like detailed spreadsheet for resupply. Okay, where am I gonna stop? What's the address? Do I have to send it by UPS or USPS? I have to call them. What hours are they open? Like that none of that's fun, right? And yet if I don't do that, the trip's gonna be a nightmare. Well, I also think exactly. I mean, I also think that this is the reason a lot of people don't take big leaps Mm -hmm. is because they think that the big leap is just the big leap. And it's not the hundred steps before it that led to the big leap. Like you can only take the big leap if you've walked the all the steps before where you're just like, is this even fucking worth it? But Mm -hmm. like you that is but I think that that people not talking about that or maybe not. I don't even know if it's a it's like they don't mean to talk about it. I just think they don't realize maybe sometimes like it's almost like I guess when someone gives birth, they don't remember like being all the months of being pregnant or something. So they just know that the child is out there. I don't know. I don't have a child, but I would I'm imagining I'm empathizing. But I think that the issue is essentially that a lot of people who are not prone to like, let me light my life on fire and go do a different thing. They feel very uh, almost kind of trapped because they're like, wait, it's not supposed to be like this. It's not supposed to be these little steps that are annoying and frustrating and kind of bothersome and like tedious. It's supposed to be exciting. And it's like, no, it's actually not as exciting. I mean, it's exciting when it happens, but in order to really fully enjoy it without a bunch of unnecessary anxiety and a bunch of unnecessary problems, I mean, if we had done this the quote unquote wrong way or like a legal way, that could have opened us up to a lot of problems. But instead, taking it in a methodical approach, it it eased our anxiety. Like by the time we were here, we were like, we know what we're doing. We know how to get in touch with the immigration office. And, you know, we have our medical appointment and our welcome appointment to get the, okay, these are just like details, but little things like that, where we just knew what to do. Mm -hmm. And that's because of taking that time. But I, and I really just want to stress how much that was just like, tedious work to figure out. And I don't love it. It's not that great. But actually, it made the risk feel better instead of feeling like I'm just actually jumping without a parachute, like in a really stupid way, Mm -hmm. like not even to prove anything just to be like, I don't want to take the time to figure this out. 
Yeah. Can you talk about some of the fears and concerns that you had before going? Because I have a very clear memory of a conversation that we had where after which sort of I felt like you're not because of that conversation, but that was like around the time that your perspective really changed. Like I know you had some fears and concerns about going and then kind of worked through those and then were excited. So will you talk about sort of that? Yes, definitely. That's a huge thing that I had so much anxiety. I thought that I was back and forth on whether this was a good idea because first, first the fear was this isn't going to happen. We're not going to get the visa. Something's going to go wrong. So I was just focused on that. Then when we got the visa, I realized there was so many other layers under that fear. (laughs) I was like, oh, that was the first thing. Oh, great. And I was not hit over, like I was not bowled over by excitement Um, And I was really curious about that because I thought that I would be, but I think what, what I worked through with that was just recognizing that like, I wasn't doing this to run away from a life or, you know, like I wasn't just like blindly going after this. I was doing it in a really smart way. And so that anxiety was like me trying to catch up to this new person that I am who does the spreadsheets and does the planning and wants to make it successful. Like that's a different kind of person than the person I was in 2011 when I was like, fuck it, I'm going, I don't care. I'm putting it on my credit card. You know, like all those concerns about how are we going to make this work financially? Where are we going to live? Is the internet going to be okay? How am I going to work? Like, what kind of computer do I need? How am I going to make this successful? How am I going to make sure that all the time that I've spent building trust with my clients through Shatterbox, that I maintain that trust even with nine hour time differences? How do I do that? And so at first, the anxiety felt like it's a sign that I shouldn't go this is fear. I shouldn't go. But then it started to feel like it's trying to tell me something that I don't need to just dismiss myself and say, oh, it's fine. It'll all work out because this is so fun. It's Paris. It'll all work out. And it's like, no, it's going to work out because I'm going to make a to-do list that we need to call pods storage company. We need to get movers. We need to figure out how to get locks for the pod, how we're going to like all, you know, we got to buy out our phones. We got to do this, 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 and this, and not just leave it all up to chance. And once I really stepped into that, like now that I have hindsight, I can look back and go, oh, okay, that's what was going on. Once I really stepped into that and I was like, okay, I'm going to create a list of everything that needs to get done. I'm going to also, I also created a, what's the worst thing that I think is going to happen list. And I wrote it all down, all my concerns and fears. And then I really looked at it and I was like, okay, I'm going to solve some of these issues for myself. If the worst thing that happens is we get an apartment and the internet is terrible, I'm going to join a co-working space and I'm going to budget for that. Great. Okay. If the worst is we go and we hate it so much and we can't wait to get home, we're going to go back and no issue. Fine. We can just book a plane ticket back. We will be fine. Everyone will welcome us back. It doesn't matter. You know, like all those things, I was just like, all right, I can solve some of these with actual action, or I can solve some of these by reassuring myself that it's not the end of the world. And instead of being like, it's Paris, I should be excited and not listen to myself. I actually listened to myself 
and solved it, which was such a different experience for me as opposed to just being like, this is fun and it should be fun. So just enjoy it and have fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's just... Yeah, I think there's a couple really good things in there. One, like uh, giving yourself the space to feel multiple feelings. Like, why is it not fine to be anxious and fearful and also to be excited? We think that it's like, well, if it has to be all one or all the other, if I'm feeling any anxiety, that means that this is a bad choice. If I'm not feeling 100% excited, right? There's some like weird story, I think, that we tell ourselves about the emotions that we should or shouldn't feel. And that creates like a lot of pain on its own. So I think that's a really key point. I also love what you were saying about the specific lists that you made, because I've, I've learned this too, that I think fear lives in vague spaces or like when I'm feeling really overwhelmed or I'm feeling fearful, it is usually because I haven't taken the time to get specific about things. You know, it's phrases like I have so much to do. I'm so busy. I'm so overwhelmed or, you know, I don't know how I'm going to get all this done or there's too many things I don't know how to handle or anything like that's vague in that way. And then to your point, when you actually sit down and said, okay, what do we need to do? We need to, you know, end our phone contracts. We need to hire movers. We need to figure out about returning the car. Once you make the list. It's sometimes it's like I'm hesitant to make the list because even that feels like, oh my God, it's too much. I can't handle it. But once you do it, it's first of all, never as bad as you think it's going to be. <laughs> or even if it is, then at least you have the things on paper and it feels just more manageable because it's not this like vague, amorphous thing in your head that, I don't know, can just kind of like create more and more fear. Absolutely. That like vague, I have so much to do is like the most unproductive feeling. And we all know it's very unproductive because we know how unproductive we are when we have that feeling. And I always have to remind myself, like, just sit down and make a list of what needs to get done. Like, just stop. I mean, it's hard to do sometimes when you're like stuck in it. But that really helped me. I had, I just wrote down, down to the most smallest thing where I was like, call this thing, call this person at this time and do this thing. And I just like put it down and I kind of just got through it. And it was, it was truly the most amazing thing when we, so we moved out of our apartment on like February 27th and the timing of it was almost, it was like a symphony. I just could, I have to like give myself credit for how amazing this was because I don't think I can stress enough how unorganized I used to be. Like I was really good at work, really pro at that kind of stuff. But in my personal life was really embracing hot mess, like really embracing it. So this is so different for me that, so we moved out first The pod storage came the day before we moved out. The movers came 8 a.m. Like all of this was just perfectly um, arranged by me. And the movers came and then that finished. And then we, while the movers were doing their their stuff, I returned the the cable box and internet to Time Warner Cable because you have to like return it the day you, we needed internet up until then. So I return that. By the time I come back, the movers are done. The pod storage is completely full. It's great. Lock is on there. I had the lock beforehand, which was just mind-blowing to me that I had done that. And then we left and went. we stayed at my, my mom's house up in the Bay Area for about a week before we left. Smart because we didn't just move out of our apartment and immediately get on a flight and be completely stressed out. We took like a week to chill and like get ready. And we had everything packed. And 
as we were leaving, the guy came for our sparklets water. We had like a water dispenser and he came just as we were leaving. And I was like, this is amazing. (laughs) I've never been this organized ever, but it's because like, I just made that whole list and I was like, how do I stop feeling anxiety around this? Mm -hmm. And that's what I did instead of stop feeling anxiety, be excited, like this, have fun. I was like, no, I'm going to solve this. Yeah. It's like giving yourself what you need. But there's two things too. Like I think there's like the practical realities that you're talking about, about giving yourself whatever it is that you need in order to combat that anxiety or not feel so overwhelmed or work through it. But a thing that you've touched on a couple of times now is sort of the difference between who you used to be and how you would have handled this and how you did handle this. You know, when you, you have a really clear example because you did move to Europe before, right? So this isn't your first time. So you can see how different it is this time versus the other time. And sort of what I hear coming out of what you're saying is that there was a change that happened in the story that you tell yourself about who you are. And that's what I would like. I'm curious about that. I'd like to hear more about that. Was there like a specific, I don't know, like catalyst event where you were like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to be different now. I'm going to do things differently because I think there's like the small practical things that we do when we're trying to be organized or whatever, but the deeper work of changing who we are, especially if it's a story that we've benefited from. Like I I think that that was part of your identity being someone who take risks and go and travel and do like there's there was something about that that you definitely did benefit from. So I'm I don't even know specifically the question that I'm asking, but anything within that that you want to talk about, I think would be interesting. Yeah, that's really true. I did. It was a it was a slow change that kind of then happened all at once where I was like, oh, wow, I changed this. The biggest I guess the biggest catalyst was I I was suffering from a lot of anxiety for a long time. And I saw that the old story of I don't look at my bank account and I don't do this and I just uh, I just I'm a free spirit and I don't want to have to limit myself and blah, 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 blah. And I don't have to be organized. I don't like planning and all this stuff, this old story, just, I outgrew it somehow. It was just like, this no longer feels comfortable. And I'm sick of myself. Like we know you and I talk about a lot, how the sick of myself time is like, the, the time before the change. It's like when you're just over yourself and annoyed by yourself. Um, and I think it was a couple years ago, but it's gotten even more precise in the past year or so um, where I was just like, okay, how do I, how do I not feel anxious all the time? Because it can't just be that my constant feeling is anxiety. And part of it, so I've always been, um, I've had a very complicated relationship with, uh, taking medication for mental health issues. I mean, myself, I don't really, I don't really care what anyone else does, but for me, I had a complicated relationship with it where I just felt like I should get, I should not have to do this and blah, 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 blah. But November, 2016, I went into an urgent care after having absolutely the worst anxiety ever. I mean, part of it was the election, but I don't think it was as specific to the election as it was just like general feeling of just discontent and fear everywhere that I was picking up on. And I went into an urgent care and I was like, 
prescribe me with a very low dosage of anti-anxiety medication or I'm going to lose my mind. Like you have to do it. I don't, I just don't, I know myself, I need it. So then I kind of made, when I decided to do that, I made like a silent declaration with myself that like, if I'm going to take medication, I have to take all the steps necessary to also help myself. Like I, I'm not, I can't just take medication and not do anything else because I actually know that's not going to help anything. Cause I'm not taking like strong. I took like 10 milligrams of Paxil. So I, it was actually in that time that I started to really become very clear that I needed to feel good for myself. Like I needed to figure things out for myself and figure out what made me happy and also figure out what could combat this anxiety and the avoiding money, avoiding bank accounts, avoiding debt, avoiding myself, not exercising, all of these avoidance techniques were just no longer serving me. They served me for a while. It allowed me to, I don't know, just not take myself as seriously. There was a lot of reasons. It's more fun to just not be, to avoid those types of things. But instead, I decided to face it straight on. And part of that process was creating a spreadsheet of all of my monthly expenses, creating a spreadsheet of my debt, which was like horrifying and horrible. And I like hate that I, ugh, I hated that feeling, but I did it. Like it just felt so like such an exposed feeling. And because of that, I just had, I went on this like multi-pronged approach to helping myself and helping that anxiety because I was just done. I, I just couldn't do it anymore. I was like, I am going to, I'm going to lose my entire life. Cause also I thought for my whole life, I thought that I suffered from depression. I thought that I was my, my, if I did have a mental health, um, struggle, it was depression because I always felt depressed. And then through just starting to really understand myself, I realized that it was anxiety. The, the depression was caused by the anxiety. Like I would, I would worry myself into such a spiral that I, that, that my only, def- it was like depression was the defense mechanism. It was like, hmm. turn myself off. I, that was the off button was to just be depressed. Okay. I don't care anymore. I'm done. Interesting. Because the anxiety was like based in caring. I wanted to be better. I wanted to cease. I wanted my future to be better. I wanted to learn from my past. But instead it was like, nope, numb, numb. Don't deal with it. And so I was like, well, I can't do that anymore. Because now I can't unknow what I know now. <laughs> and I know now that looking at anxiety was the was the thing that I needed to to I guess I would say like quote unquote solve it's not really ever solved but there are ways to make it better mm-hmm. I don't yeah I so there's a lot in here that I want to dig into I have a very vivid memory of a phone conversation that we had and I think it was early ish 2017 I can't quite place the time but I remember I remember the trail that I was walking on when we were talking and you said something to the effect of that all you're like all I want is to 
actually be happy and to feel good and to stop feeling like shit. And I'm going to do, I don't know what that takes, but I'm going to do whatever that takes. And I remember I thought that that was interesting because I feel like that's the type of stuff that people say all the time. Like, I just want to be happy or I'm going to prioritize happiness. And even that, even as I say that, I don't even really know what that means, right? I think the the word happy is like, just gets thrown around a lot. And so you mentioned a couple of specific things when you were just talking about, okay, part of uh, working through this anxiety and deciding to feel good and be happy is taking an honest look at money and all that, which I definitely want to get into later. But before we start to dig into the money stuff, can you talk about a few of the other changes that you made or things that you did once you decided to prioritize happiness? Because I, again, I think there's a disconnect between some of the things that we say, like, I just want to be happier. I just want to, you know, whatever. And then what we actually do in our everyday lives. So can you just kind of run through some of the different things that you changed in the last year or that you tried? Yes, because this was actually that that really was the thing that changed everything because first of all once about i would say 6 months into actually truly truly prioritizing my happiness i had the very horrible realization that i had never done that in my life ever ever i was like oh my god i have been prioritizing everything else like I would say, I want to be happy, but then I'd be like, no, 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 no. Um, being a famous writer is more important than that. So I'm going to, I'm going to assume that suffering as a writer is an investment in my future happiness. And I'm going to assume that suffering for my, to lose weight is an investment in my future happiness or just suffering in general as an investment in my future happiness was really my mode for a lot of things without even realizing it. And when I prioritized my happiness, it was really interesting because one, I started to get clear on what it felt like to be happy. And it wasn't like ecstatic joy, which is, by the way, something that I chased a lot using alcohol was like that ecstatic, I'm free, joy, I have no worries. It's like, no, 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 that's not actually happiness to me. Um, and so what I, it, it was mostly stripping away instead of adding things to my life. It was going, okay, I have these dreams I have these ambitions, these ideas of what I think that I should be, who I think that I should be, all this stuff. What's making me happy? Very surprised to find out that a lot of that wasn't. And then I started to think, what are the things that are actually on a date, on a day-to-day basis, not something that eventually one day maybe will bring me happiness. I don't know. Um, but actually on a day-to-day basis. And I was like, well, working out going to the gym, have it exercising, um, having a true understanding of what's in my bank account, trying to uh, not having anxiety about money, um, working in a way that's consistent, being more committed, saying if I'm saying I'm if I say I'm going to do something, I will do it. Like just having a much more grounded approach. And I always used to think like, ah, that's boring. I don't want to be boring. Never wanted to be boring. And I was like, you know what? I'd rather be boring and happy than exciting and fucking miserable, like hands down. And that was, those felt like my only two choices. And it's not 
you can be happy and not be boring to yourself. But at the time, those felt like my only two choices. And I was like, I choose boring 100%. And a lot of the cliches were true. Like I found a lot more joy in simple things. But also I've then I've I found a lot of joy in like moving across the world. So it's not just simple. It's those are foundations. Those are good things. But also I found a lot of joy in like taking more calculated risks. And I I was just giving someone some writing advice, a friend of mine. And she was like, I don't want to be too vulnerable on the internet. And I was like, then don't. Like write the things that make you feel good and push yourself. Sure. But like, don't be vulnerable for the sake of being vulnerable. Like don't spill your guts out and then be like, why do I feel so exposed? Like there, there, it's okay to sometimes be practical. Like sometimes I think that that's lost its allure a little bit where it's like, you have to be exciting and like so raw and vulnerable. And it's like, you don't always, you, you can actually like, build a foundation for yourself where you feel really good. You don't have to always feel bad. Mm -hmm. And I honestly, I'm only, I'm not saying this as like a preach situation. It's like, I actually had to tell myself that like I wrote. So one of the actual actions that I took was I started. So in 2016, I journaled pretty much every single day I did. It started as like morning pages from, um, whatever. I don't remember what that book is, but the artist's way. Yeah. The artist's way. So it started as that. And then I turned it into my own thing because I'm, I just do my own thing, but I journaled and it was basically just like getting all the shit out of my head. Like I was nasty. I was mean. I was like, not my best self. And I got it all out. And then in 2017, I was like, you know what? I'm done. I don't want (laughs) to I don't want to like circle the drain on these things anymore. Like my childhood happened. There was trauma. There was things. I just am done. Like I'm, I'm kind of like done nursing my pain. And so for 2017, I wrote my intentions every single day, pretty much every single day. And it was, and the thing that I always wrote over and over was I allow my life to be good. I allow myself to be happy. And It seems like, well, duh, everybody allows their life to be good. And it's like, I don't know that we do. Mm -hmm. I agree (laughs) with you. I definitely agree with you. I think, I also think that sometimes those like really simple statements can be the most powerful. Like how how would you live differently if you actually were allowing yourself to be happy? I think something that you said before was interesting about, um, uh, looking at, uh, struggle and misery as an investment in future joy, right. And deciding to stop doing that as much. And the thing that I like about the fact that you said that is that it almost contradicts, but doesn't contradict something that you said earlier when we were talking about, uh, the lead up to the move to Paris of like, okay, well doing all of the logistical things that it took to get these visas and it, and that it took to move, like they were tedious and not always fun. And so it's like, it's easy. What am I trying to say? I think that 
both can be true, where you can want something like a big thing, like, you know, moving across the world. And in order to have that, you can, you know, give yourself the chance to do these tedious, not always fun things that are an investment in this future thing. And also, you can look at something, you know, like you said, trying to lose weight or like the, you know, trying to be famous with writing or whatever. If it really is bringing you more pain than joy, then that investment isn't worth it. It's like not one or the other. It's not like never do things that you don't really want to do as an investment in the future. That's not what you're saying. And you're also not saying the opposite, right? And so it's like, I don't know. I think that this is what's so interesting to me about people being honest about their lived experiences is that we want it to be really black and white and it never is. Sometimes it is worth putting in the things with the idea that like joy costs pain. I believe that 100%. Otherwise, I wouldn't do a lot of the things that I do. And also, there's a difference between the times when that's worth it and the times that it's making you more miserable than not. Definitely. And I think the biggest difference, at least from my experience, was the suffering and the investment for the future, maybe vague kind of feeling of achieving something that would make me look good to others mm-hmm. versus this is a thing rooted in an actual thing I want to do. Like if yeah, that's I a great distinction. Anybody mm-hmm. like I, with Paris literally did not tell social media until I was, until I was there. I did not do anything. And I, it was purposeful to do that because I had lived so much of my life in all honesty hate to even have to admit this, but it's true. So much of my life doing things to show it off to others. Look at this big thing I can do. Look at this, look at this, look at this. And I hate, I don't like to admit that, but it's the truth. And I really made sure, especially with such a big thing like Paris, which I knew people would be like, oh my God, but I was like, I am not going to do this. If I'm doing this to show off to people or be better than people or do something that looks good in the eyes of people, I just, I was like, I'm not doing this for anybody but myself and my husband. And that felt really good because I just really had never, I hadn't really given myself the opportunity to do that in the past because I was very focused on how other people perceived me like. And so a lot of the things that I was doing as like an investment in something in the future was all rooted in how I expect I will feel when I do something that is what I should do or looks impressive or is an achievement that will like translate really well to other people, Mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah, it's like it's not the same thing or the the question of do I actually want to move to Paris or do I want to tell people that I'm moving to Paris? And those aren't the same. And it doesn't mean that if if the answer is I really do want to do this, of course, you can tell people and that can be fun also, right? But there really is a difference between I inherently want to do this thing, even if I wasn't able to tell anyone versus I'm only doing this because it's going to make me look good or it's going to make my ego feel good or whatever. Yeah. Or like my Instagram is going to be well, okay, pretty. So that, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's well, that's an interesting, an interesting thing because I know that one of the actions that you took in the prioritization of your happiness was getting off social media for, I would imagine, what was the longest time in your life. Can you talk about that? Oh yeah, I was off social media for about eight months. I mean, I was still looking and lurking and whatever, but I what I could not bring myself to post. So 
I just had noticed that this was no longer a thing that made me happy. I could not have a healthy relationship with it. I did not know how I was, I would prioritize the the things that made me not feel good. I would use it as a weapon against myself, like late at night, just feeling bad about myself. It was basically like the breeding ground of so many of my insecurities not because of anyone else, like anyone else can post whatever they want. They don't have, they're not responsible for me, but I was allowing it to be that. And this had been a constant thing in my life because I've been visible on the internet since I'd say 2007, yeah, 2008. I mean, yeah, that's how we met. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's not visible in the sense where it's my friends and family. It was people are watching and I was very aware of that. And it's not to say that that's a bad thing. Many people can maybe have that experience and not make it mean something to them. I could not. And I realized it, especially after 2013, when I had a job as a staff writer and it was supposed to be the dream job. And it was incredibly difficult to divorce my self-worth from like how many page views my articles would get. And especially when they're, and it's, it's one thing to have your self-worth tied to something that's not doing well, that's its own beast. But I will say it is another beast to have your self-worth tied to things that are doing well, because it's like, it's just a different experience. So I won't, it is a privilege to be able to write and to be able to have my voice heard. But it, it was, it took me a lot of time to remember that I was worth more than that. And to not like ba- basically create my whole identity around being like a writer that writes on the internet and who people turn to for advice. Mm-hmm. Like I just took me a long time. And so it was on the heels of that, that I was like, I just, I need an actual break from this because even if I wasn't posting before I took that break, even if I wasn't posting, I was always thinking about like, I got to keep up my social media and I got to do this and I got to do this. And especially when I, I had, I was working with a literary agent for about a year after I start after I was working at Thought Catalog and a lot of the pressure was on my platform And that was just for my mental health, for my anxiety, for my specific way of dealing with that, that drove me into an actual like depressive spiral was like, I'm not good enough. I am never going to be successful because it turned into my platform's not good enough. Therefore, this dream of writing a book that I'm holding on to so tightly as if it is my only, only chance at happiness if I cannot get 100,000 followers across all my platforms, which is what was said to me it would be the ticket to a very good book deal, if I can't get that, I am not going to be successful. And if I'm not going to be successful, I'm never going to be happy. And then I'm never going to have money and I'm never going to. And it was like a year of that, mm-hmm. literally. Mm-hmm. And then trying to write a book. Yeah, right, but, right. Trying to access your actual good, productive creativity from yeah. this place of complete despair. Yeah, I was like, great. Yeah, this is the birthplace of creativity. Right. right. Um, good breeding ground. So I, I didn't write the book. I wrote many book proposals. I gave it a very honest try. And I even had 
the editor, like from uh, Penguin Random House at like a very prestigious um, imprint of Penguin Random House. She was like, I'm waiting on your book proposal. And I was like, why do you say that to me? It's the worst thing you could ever say. (laughs) You'll never see it because of that. (laughs) And I part like that makes it sound like I choked and I didn't get it done. But really what happened was I just realized that I wasn't, I, I wasn't ready. It wasn't the time. And during that time I have seen since that time. And now I've seen many of my friends got book deals. Many who have started at the same time as me, they're getting book deals. I'm very happy for them. And I'm waiting to honestly getting off of social media. I took a very long break from writing. I'm waiting to feel joy around writing again. And it has, it has not come back in any kind of like full force. And I'm okay with that because I'm not going to pressure myself. I know that like writing success doesn't bring me just unalterated joy. Like it just doesn't. I've had it. I've had millions of people read my writing. I've had every message you could ever get from people. I've had every opportunity and it still didn't bring me any joy. And that was the moment where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm barking up the wrong tree here. Mm-hmm. Like I am up the wrong tree. I need to go in a different direction. I'm forcing it and this doesn't feel good. And I, I need to feel something else. And that was just a big part of it all culminated uh-huh. into being like, I don't care if you have me living in a cabin in the woods universe. I just want to be happy. Like, tell me where to go and I will go. I don't care if I am so insignificant in the world that nobody even remembers me after I leave for five seconds. I don't care. Like, just let me, just let me be happy. Mm-hmm. Like it really got to that point. Cause I was like, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. I'm exhausted. Yeah. yeah I think, I mean, first of all, thank you for sharing that. I think that there's so much honesty and so much relatability to what you just said. And like, I want to point out so many things. I like don't even know where to start. I feel like a little bit like a deer in headlights, but okay, let me try. Um, I think that first of all, one of the most meaningful things from for me from what you're saying is that it's hardly ever just one thing. Like sometimes if we're feeling anxious or we're feeling unhappy or feeling dissatisfied, it's like, well, I need to figure out like what the root of this is. And maybe sometimes it is like one very like specific, easily identified thing. But in my experience and from the story that you just shared, it's often a lot of threads that are woven and tangled together, right? Because even from what you've already talked about, this idea of, okay, uh, realizing that actually this is, I mean, I hate to use the word normal, but like maybe this isn't a normal level of anxiety. Maybe this is something that needs to be treated in a different way. Okay. That's like one thread. And then, oh, you know, this sort of comparison game or living life for other people and the pressure of social media, like that's another thread. Then there's the thread of, you know, not looking at finances and, you know, thinking that you were too free spirited to do that. Okay. Well, maybe that's another thread that's making me unhappy. So what would happen if I made the spreadsheet? and looked at the numbers and started to prioritize more financial security. And then there's the threat of like how to let go of a dream that no longer fits like when it comes to writing. And, you know, when you have 
like you said, you had an agent, you had an editor, right? Like all the things that you had probably told yourself were going to be the ticket to being so happy. And, you know, when I've achieved this place, I will have made it, whatever that looks like. Okay, what do you do when the thing that you thought you wanted winds up actually making you deeply unhappy in that current iteration? You know, can you be brave enough to let go of that and trust that if it's meant to come back, it'll come back around in a different way? And like all, each of those things alone, I feel like could be like a nine hour conversation. <laughs> and yet it's like the intersection of all those things because it was, you know, being able to let go, like forego writing a book, let go of that and like pivoting and focusing on your design business and deciding to do that and then like getting more financial stability. And it's like all the building blocks together. I don't even know like why I'm reiterating this, but I just think that there's something really powerful in maybe it's not one thing. Maybe it's a bunch of things. Maybe one thing informs something else and sort of being willing to look at, you know, the ways that things maybe aren't working or out of alignment and just like not... It's not like you made huge, big, sweeping changes in any area, but it's like sort of one step after another of like nudging in a direction that makes you feel less like shit. Yes. Also, I think what the pattern here and what I'm recognizing as you're saying that is that when you look, when you allow, okay, I'm not going to say you, I'm going to say me. When I allowed myself to be happy. And I said, I'm going to feel good. That opened up solutions instead of put up barriers Hmm. because all all I had seen in my life for so long were just barriers. This is hard. I don't know how to do this. This is so difficult and this and this, or I mean, I'm not going to say all I had seen. I'm not trying to paint this huge picture of like, I was not anything before I did this, this, but I, a lot of what I had felt based on this anxiety that had that eventually turned into depression from, you know, many times in my life, it just felt like this is a wall. This is a wall. This is a wall. But when I decided that I actually really wanted to be happy and okay with myself and free of anxiety. And I really wanted to feel good. Not in this. I know you can never really always feel good, which always gave me the out of like, that means I cannot feel good all the time. Um, but like I wanted to on the majority of the time feel good and okay and happy. It really opened up. What can I do then? What can I actually do instead of I feel like shit. That just doesn't create any solutions. It's like, okay, so just do more things that make you feel like shit. Great. That's easy. I know a lot of things that make me feel like shit. So I'm going to keep doing those. It doesn't actually provide any way out, which is why what you're talking about, where it was a lot of little things, it's because I was able to make a lot of little course corrections based on I gave myself actual solutions. I was like, if I actually want to be happy, and I'm not happy. I can't keep going down the same path that I've been going down. So I have to make adjustments. And it wasn't like, I think in the past, I had tried to make a lot of mental adjustments. You know, like I wanted to become more self-aware, like do a lot of healing work. I really worked on the mind and I really, I ignored a lot of the practicalities. Yeah. It was like, like I wanted to feel It was like with money. I wanted to allow abundance. I wanted to work on activating that in my mind and manifesting. And I think that that's really valuable. But it does nothing if you make absolutely no action toward it. And I was like, I'm going to become an action-oriented person. (laughs) And what's really interesting 
speaking of Shatterbox, is since that has happened in my life, every single client that I have talks about how action-oriented I am. And I was like, well, funny thing you should say that because that's not how I used to be. (laughs) Like I used to be mind-oriented. Okay, Mm -hmm. let me figure out how to feel better about this without doing any actual work on it, any actual practical, tangible work on it. It was like, let me soothe myself about money anxiety instead of let me make a budget and a spreadsheet and soothe myself forevermore instead of just in the moment and provide a one-stop solution, a band-aid solution to a thing that actually needs a plan. Like, and actually for me, like any, I don't, this is not prescriptive. This is just what worked for me, you know? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think, well, also, you're not, yeah, you're, you're not, and I'm not trying to tell anyone else what to do with their lives, right? Of course. But it's like what you're saying, and I, I have found this too, that the, and I'm obviously also a super introspective person, really into the sort of self-work and the mind stuff, and that's great, and it's helpful until it's not, basically. Like, you reach a saturation point where it's too much of doing that, and that it can become almost a trap and a comfort zone of its own, because if you think that it's all about mindset and it's all about that, then it's sort of like it keeps you safe from having to take action and from having to do work. And I think you're speaking to that really well, that progress comes from usually some kind of a combination of both, right? Like, sure, you can do affirmations and you can manifest abundance and all that stuff. But if you don't make a budget, if you don't look at your debt, if you don't do those things, it's not just going to magically be better. I think, yeah, I think that's really relevant. And then I also what you said before about um, like uh, allowing solutions to pop up. I think that there's something really powerful that happens when we get to the point of saying, okay, like what if everything's on the table? Because even like looking at this question of happiness, I remember periods of time. I mean, the number of conversations that you and I have had about social media, like if we had a dollar for each of those conversations, we would both be gazillionaires, like for sure. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. the number of conversations specifically that we had that were rooted in the fact that the way that you were using social media was not making you happy, like that was not a snap decision. Like we had those conversations in some iteration over and over and over and over again for years. And at each point, it felt like um, that getting off of social media for whatever reason, like you hadn't allowed that to be an option. And obviously I've done the same thing with, with social media and other things, but it's that story of, oh, this isn't making me happy, but I have to do it because whether it was because of, you know, it was part of your writing at Thought Catalog or because that was what you believed was, you know, the necessary path to getting a book dealer, like because, 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 because there was always a reason. And so quitting social media or taking an extended break from it, for example, was never an actual solution. And I think sometimes like the point that you just made is how often we hold ourselves back from making huge forward progress in any area just because we're not letting everything be on the table. Like until everything's on the table, you can't really see what the real solutions are. Mm-hmm. No. So I think the leaving it all on the table is such a, it's, it's like all the cards are out now. What are we going to, now it's getting interesting because when there are all these like barriers of no, no, I can't touch that. No, 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 no. I have a story about that. And uh, oh, 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 I I can't do that. It's like, all right. So you're basically going to adjust like the one thing that you've allowed yourself to adjust. Okay, good luck. Like Mm -hmm. you're going to keep feeling the same way. And I, so what was really interesting was I had this story, this constant story of like, If I'm not on social media, everyone's going to forget about me and I'm not going to be successful and I'm not going to make any money. Okay. So 
Because for me, and this is really interesting, well, not really interesting. I mean, it's really important to note that another thing that I've accepted about myself is that it's okay that I like to make money. I like making money and I want to have financial success. That was a really big thing for me to admit to myself. It's not anymore (laughs) because I've really embraced it, but I allowed that to be true. So when I realized that like a big fear was, I'm not going to make money or I'm not going to be successful or, 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 or all these things. I was like, I'm not going to let that be true. I don't know how, but I'm not going to let that be true. And I will say in 2017, I relaunched my business after not having done any kind of marketing or anything for years it had been a long time. And most of the people, most people thought I was out of business or not, not out of business, but like it was a true side hustle. And all I did was send out like one email, Hey, back in business, let me know. And it was some crickets at first, but then 2017 ended up being the year I was off social media for the most part, posting none at all, nothing no email list, did not send out any regular emails, did not do anything, yet was the most financially successful year ever I've ever had. And I got myself completely out of debt. So I don't know, that story, like just no longer serves me anymore. And so because of that, because I proved that to myself, which was very important for me to prove, I don't know if that's just a fluke, I don't know. But I don't think so. I think it's because I was like, if it's true that I do not want to be on social media during this time, how do I make this work then? (laughs) Like, because then it was a solution instead of being like, no, 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 I have to be on social media and I have to do my brand and I have to do this and da, 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 da. That doesn't open up any possibilities. But because I was like, how do I make this happen now? So what I did was, I stopped thinking about, okay, I need to get clients all the time. Instead, I was like, how do I package up my services and make my services more appealing as like ongoing retainer work? And because of that, throughout 2017, I've realized so many new skills. I am a champion brainstormer, which Nicole already knew. We are very both very good brainstormers, but now it's a thing I can charge for. I'm really good at helping people take action in their businesses. And this all came about because I was able, I started to think of solutions instead of thinking of it has to be this way and it's always going to be this way. And I'm always going to need more clients and new clients every single month. I'm working with clients that I've been working with for six years on and off. Now I'm working with them in a very steady capacity because I I was like, I need, I want consistency. So what's the solution there? Instead of no, 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 this work can never be consistent. Designers are never consistent. So that's just how it is. As a freelancer, it's how it is. I was like, no, I refuse to accept that. (laughs) Like, I am not going to accept that how it is. Mm -hmm. And little things like that, that turned into big adjustments and actually changed my life. Like a big thing with debt. I, I kept, I always said to myself, well, everybody has debt. It's normal. Everybody has debt. And I was like, no, 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 not for me. I don't want to be in debt anymore. I don't want it. Mm-hmm. So what's my action? What can I do? What can I really do if that's true? Because also I listened to myself. 
that's a big one. And one that's really people, it's another one of those things where we say we're doing it fully, fully agree here that I used to say that I was doing it. And then I really wasn't, I was really, I was like, I'm going to listen to myself. And then something would come up. Yeah, you listen it, until you don't like what comes up. And then you're yeah. like, oh, I'm not going to listen to that anymore. That makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Familiar. Like, oh, yes. Yes. You, like, you want me to look at my debt? Ugh, no. Okay. I'm not listening. <laughs> like, <laughs> shut up. You're, yeah, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Um, like, like, that's really what it would be. It was like, oh, you want me to do this and this? And, uh, I don't like that. And it's it really is, I think, that idea of laying it all out and letting everything be, I mean, not forever. At some point you have to let some things be a little bit more fixed, I think, but laying it all out there and saying, what can actually be altered here? Like, what can I actually do instead of just being so tightly wound in those stories and those habits and those beliefs where, you know, you just don't leave yourself open to seeing a different way and seeing a different, I know I keep saying the word solutions and it's not a very sexy word, but it actually is like the difference between being stuck and being not stuck. Yeah, I think so too. I think sort of this this analogy too of like putting everything on the table, right? Like as a first step of, okay, what if I would literally allow myself to do anything, right? Like, and then the, I think about a lot um, the advice from our mutual friend, former podcast guest, um, Jenny Blake, talked about something about like, I don't even remember the exact wording that she used, but it was something about um, making more strategic decisions. Like if everything's on the table, then looking at it and being like, okay, like what's the most impactful thing I can do? Like what's the thing that if I were to do that either sort of takes care of the most other things or makes the other things not really even an issue anymore. And like, I hear that coming out as you're like drilling down into like for you getting out of debt was probably that domino. And so it's like, okay, well, if I'm going to prioritize getting out of this debt, then what else has to be true? And like all the other things that you talked about, you know, looking at the finances, uh, reopening your business instead of just like focusing on writing, which wasn't making you happy anyway, like all of those things that it's like, once you decide on a priority when everything is on the table, even if the thing you decide on winds up being the thing that you never wanted to touch in the past, which I think is often the case, right? Um, That like, then the next decisions after that, they don't necessarily become easier, but they do become clearer and more simple because it's like, well, if I've decided that this thing is my priority and making money is my priority, then that means that other things are just going to kind of naturally fall away. Right. Exactly. Like when I decided that that was my priority, it, it was like, okay, well then I can't split my priority in other directions. It needs to be this or not. And it made it, it actually ended up making decisions a lot easier. Yeah. And, and a big thing also that I want to point out here that I think I've, I, that I thought about a lot, um, that I, I still think about a lot is I love reading like what people advice people give on their deathbed, super morbid. Cool. I know, but I like to read that stuff because I, I don't want to have regrets when I'm older or when, like, I don't know how I, I could die today. I don't know. So I like, I like to think about that because all the advice is similar. It's not like it's all varied and you can't take any pattern from it. It's all the same. Like people wish they didn't work as hard. They wish they had focused on the things that made them happy instead of achievement 
or, you know, unless there are achievements that make you happy, great, win-win, but sometimes there aren't. And there's, I wish I had spent more time with family. I wish I had spent more time with my friends, like all of this stuff. I wish I had traveled more. And you know what I said to myself after I realized, I was like, these all say the same thing. I was like, you know what? Friends from the grave, I'm going to heed your advice. I'm going to listen. I'm not going to wait until I'm, you know, 60 years old and go, what? Okay, now I have to change. Now I have to do something with my life that is different because now I realize I have this hindsight. I'm like, I'm just going to take the advice now Mm -hmm. and I'm going to go. I'm going to go to Paris. I'm going to go travel. I'm going to take, I'm going to look at my life and say, I'm not beholden to anything. So you know what, Hossam, we're going like, we're going to, we're going to support ourselves on my income and we're going to do it because it's going to be awesome. And why not? And we're going to, and I'm going to not work as hard. I'm going to work as much as I need to, so I can decide how much I need, what I really define success as, and then I'm going to do that. And I'm going to enjoy my life. I'm going to take the weekends. I'm going to have that time to myself. And I'm going to prioritize my relationships as much as I possibly can. And all those things, I'm going to exercise. Because you know what? If I walk every single day in when I'm in my 50s, I'm going to feel good. Mm-hmm. I'm going to feel really good and happy that I invested in that. So all these little things that I think we like we do lo- it's almost it's like inspiration porn. We love to read about this stuff. I mean, you could see bestsellers are usually like books from dying people. We just love it. And yet, why don't we take the advice? <laughs> like, yeah. And yet we're still like need to work more, need to not do this, need to ignore that. Ba 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 ba. It's like Oh, man. And of course, there are people that need to work and it's they don't have a choice. It's mostly this is very it's a privilege to be able to choose the amount of hours you can work. But, you know, there are a good amount of us that do have that choice and still choose harmful situations for ourselves. Mm-hmm. I think something else that's really relevant too that plays into this that you were talking about when you were talking about uh, the story that you told yourself around debt was, oh, well, everyone has debt, so this is normal. And I think that that storyline can be so damaging in so many different arenas because because it can be true. Like I think that that's true, that debt is, for example, is really prevalent. And also it's okay for that, for you to make a different choice. Like that, when, when I hear you talk about debt, it's a lot of how I feel about alcohol. That like the story that I was telling myself around the time that I was struggling to decide, okay, I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore was everyone that I knew was a really heavy drinker. Like that was my entire social life really. And so much of the bonding experiences and the partner that I was with at a time and we met drunk at a club. And so it was very easy to say, oh, well, this isn't a problem. This isn't too much drinking because this is normal. This is what people do in their early to mid twenties, or this is what people do in college or whatever. And like, while it can be helpful sometimes, I think to normalize our experience and to remind ourselves that we're not alone, I think the other end of that can become a block that prevents us from making change because it was true that most of the people that I surrounded myself with did drink that much. And maybe it is true that everyone that you know is in a certain amount of debt or whatever. And also that cannot be the right fit for you and you can make a different choice. And I feel like for me, it was like, it was very empowering to say, sure, this is what I have always done as an adult with drinking. 
And this is what a lot of other people that I know do. And also I'm going to give myself permission to not do that anymore. And so like, I think it's worth sort of examining that, like what you just said, like it can be quote normal, whatever that is to have a lot of consumer debt or student loan debt or whatever. And you can decide to prioritize paying that off. You know, like I think there's something in that of like, it can be what a lot of folks do and you can choose a different path. Yes. And also recognizing that choosing that different path can a lot of times comes come with resistance um, and with some adjustment to and it, it like it takes a certain amount of I don't even know what the, it's not like self-control or willpower or anything. It's just a certain amount of I guess the word is focus it takes a certain amount of focus to be like, I am going to resist everything that tells me that this is normal and it's not a big deal and da, 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 da. And I'm still going to prioritize it because I mean, perfect example. I, I don't not drink, but I don't drink very much and I don't drink very often. I used to, but I, I can't do the hangovers. I just don't like it as much. Um, but here in Paris, that's what people do. Like they drink, they go to happy hour. Every single cafe and bar is like packed. Um, they smoke cigarettes. Like I, it's jarring. I remembered that they smoked cigarettes, but it is jarring how how smoke smoking is so normalized here. Absolutely. And I have keep telling myself, I'm like, even though this is the experience of many people here, I can choose a different experience. Like I can enjoy the beauty of Paris without having a cigarette. I mean, I don't have any issue not having a cigarette, but it, it feels like a cultural thing that like have a cigarette, have your beer, get drunk, like all of this. And I'm not go like, I don't want to be pulled into that kind of culture, especially the culture of drinking. I don't feel it's more, it's less like I have a temptation, but more of like kind of FOMO. I'm like, oh, I'm not a Parisian. Like I'm not one of them, but I'm like, okay, so what? Like I also am like very clean and I don't, it's like different than that. Like they're, they don't shower as much. So what? Like I just have to do what I do. And it's like, a, but it, it does require a little bit of that. Like, I can't care what people think. And I have to like stay the course of myself and know what's right for me, even though, cause I used to do the thing and Nicole, you and I have talked about this so much where I used to do the thing where I was like, why can't I just like be like everybody else? Why do I always have to be different? Why do I always have to like, why does this affect me, but it doesn't affect others? And it's like, I don't know what affects people and what their life is like. That's another thing where I've like prioritized when I've prioritized myself and my happiness and just like putting my head down and focusing, I'm like a lot less interested or not interested, but I'm like a lot less concerned with how other people live their lives. Like do whatever you want. Don't care. But like, I don't know how other people feel in the morning if they've been drinking and having a cigarette. I know how I feel and I don't like it. So why do I have to like shame myself into being like, just be like everybody else and like get drunk and do this. And I don't know if I'm making any sense because I feel like I went off on a tangent, but it was that thing of like, I should be normal like everybody else. And I should, I should like go out because like with the debt thing, for example, it's really hard to not spend money all the time, especially when you live in LA and all everybody wants to do is go out to eat, go to this thing, go to that thing, 
I mean, there is a huge pressure to always have new clothes. Trends change like within a second. I don't know why everybody started wearing different things. And I was like, I'm behind. I don't even know what's cool anymore because I stopped spending money. And I was like, I am, I feel actually truly left out of, of this life. Like I feel left out of being able to, not being able to, but like choosing not to partake in this culture of spending money. And, you know, like little things like, you know, I was thinking of getting a new car before we went to Paris. And there's like this pressure to have like a good car and a cool car. And it's, and then there's this pressure to have like a better apartment. And, you know, you can just upgrade until you're just like swimming in debt, which I'm sure many people are. And I was like, I need to resist. I need to resist yeah. all of this. Yeah, I think there's something in that that I think is, is really powerful. This idea of feeling left out, I think it's it would be really quick to be like, oh, no, no, like you're not left out, like you're fine, whatever. But that's actually not to like you will be left out when you make yeah. in any situation the non-mainstream choices. Like I think that there for me, my relatable experience with this is definitely drinking like it. I did lose friends. There are things that I stopped getting invited to even now. Like I know that there's stuff that I don't get invited to or that, you know, people don't include me in because of that. Or there's like certain experiences that other people are having that I'm not having. Like I am definitely left out of certain things by making the decision not to drink. Sometimes that feels fine. Sometimes that feels lonely. And Mm -hmm. that's part of. I mean, this sounds so cheesy, but like that's part of being true to yourself is like you will be left out. And there has to be some the like you have to develop the strength to be okay with the fact that that feels shitty sometimes that anytime I mean, again, you and I talk about this all the time about the like discomfort of making non mainstream choices. Like I feel like that about a lot of different things. And there will be times that you're left out. And when everyone's doing something and for whatever reason, you're not doing it. And okay. You know, and yep. it's like a good time to and to remind yourself of why you're doing what you're doing, and that that again, I think that it's easy to associate making like a a supposedly or like a quote positive change, right? Like getting out of debt or quitting drinking, like those are things that I think we would think of as like that's a healthy choice, right? Like that's choosing less self destructive behaviors or whatever. But even within that, even if something is 100 percent the right choice for you right then, if it's the best choice that you could make for yourself, that doesn't mean that it's going to feel good all the time. In fact, like it's going to feel crappy a lot of the time, and that those can both be true, and that like you can keep going anyway. Yes. preach amen because one thing that came up for me while you were just saying that was I feel like with things like drinking or getting out of debt or these types like or quitting drinking these types of things there always seems to be like the most prominent person who talks about that seems to be like the person that's just like risen above everything like they're like I just don't even like the taste of alcohol I just don't even (laughs) like being drunk they're like I just decided I was a minimalist and I just need less things and I'm like I will tell you every day when I was trying to get out of debt and still to this day I had a tab open with ASOS I filled carts with clothes I love clothes I love spending money That's why I got myself into that mess. I actually love spending money. I love going out to eat. I love not thinking about money. I love just being like, yeah, let's go do it. Let's be spontaneous. Let's order, let's order the, 
appetizers and the meal and this and that. And like, let me get a new dress and da, 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 da. Like, I love that. I could spend a lot of money in one day, but I just had to choose a priority over that. So I think there's this, because the other thing was like, I always assumed, especially with money stuff, that like the people that were good with money, just like, were this just uh, like sitting on top of a mountain, like frugal monk that was just like, I need nothing but air or like not that intense, but kind of that. And I'd be like, well, fuck that. I can't be like that. I like things. I actually like things like I would have a Mercedes if I if I got into a financial situation where that didn't feel like a lot of money, like I'd get a Mercedes. That's okay. Like there are things, and I'm like, I like having, I would love to buy myself like a Gucci bag. I would love that. But like, I don't, I'm not going to buy a Gucci bag on my American Express. Mm -hmm. I will buy a Gucci bag when there's enough padding in my bank account and enough in my savings that that feels really good to me. Yeah, no, this is, this is so good. This is, this is the honesty that's missing from this conversation because like, so I like literally wrote this down as you were talking, like minimalism is not a requirement for being debt free, for example, like the thing doesn't have to come naturally to you in order for you to be able to do it. Like exempt, same thing with drinking. Like I don't have to like genuinely, I mean, now I genuinely do enjoy being sober. That's the funny thing too. Like change changes you, right? So like, but at the beginning I had no, for years, I had no idea how to have fun without drinking. I I literally had no idea. And so if I would have told myself and like only looked at the people that were like so spiritually above drinking and like life's so much better when you're awake and like, sure, those things are true, but also being awake fucking sucks sometimes. And so like, if I would have made it true that I can only quit drinking once I know how to have fun sober, I would still be drinking or I'd be dead. Like, I don't, I don't know what would happen, but it's like, and so the same thing for you, like if, if the story that you're telling is, well, okay, but I like spending money and I like stuff and I don't want to only own, you know, 100 items that fit into my backpack. So therefore being debt free isn't for me. It's like an if then statement that seems to be culturally supported by, like you said, the people that rise to the top of certain movements or lifestyles are, are the most visible, but that's not the only way to do it. Like you can love stuff. I can love the feeling of drinking and still be sober. Like, and you did still pay off that debt. So I don't, there's just like something so real in what you're saying about that, that it doesn't come naturally to you and you did it anyway. And that's possible because it doesn't have to look like the way it looks with the people who like want you to buy their e-course about how to do that lifestyle. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a whole other thing. Wait, so but let's let's talk about the debt a little bit, because I think getting into something that I know that you and I like about money conversations is when people are willing to like actually talk about specifics. So when you decided, OK, I'm going to get serious, I'm going to pay off this credit card debt. Do you remember how much debt you had? Uh, I don't want to. <laughs> it was a good amount. I mean, because it was like tax and credit card. And I mean, I still have some, I I guess this is maybe a little disingenuous, but I have student loans, but it's, it's on course to be off this. Like that didn't feel to me, that's a different kind of debt. I mean, it's not, but it is because the consumer debt felt like I got myself into this mess. Like I am mad at myself that I did this. This was just me overspending. Whereas like I really had no choice to take out student loans, but for where where I was going in my life. But anyway, that's going to be within the next few months. That'll be paid off too. But 
the big, so it was, it was a good amount. It was like in the 20,000 mm-hmm. range. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, and, but I also mean, I think just like sidebar, I I'm grateful that you're willing to be honest about that. And also it's like being able to look at it with like, like not from like a morality place. Cause there's plenty of people listening that have more debt than that. And they have less de- debt than that. Right. That it's just like all about, okay, like that was what's true for you. Like you were able to do this. And so I don't, I just like always think it's helpful when people are like, that's like for me, like when I graduated college, I had just over $50,000 of student loans and like to pay off. And so, okay, some people have more, some people have less, but it's just, there's some comfort in people being like, here's what's true for me, you know? Yes. And so the bit, but the biggest thing in facing that was like writing it all down. Mm-hmm. I was like, I, I just have to look at this and this sucks, but I have to look at it. And instead of feeling like this is impossible and I'm never going to pay this off, I was like, how do I do it? And for me, I knew I had, I don't have a fixed income. So I was like, Jamie, you can make this happen. Like you can work hard and make this happen. And it's the same thing that we talked about with like, did I want to spend money all the time? Did I want to go out to freaking sushi at Katsuya on Ventura Boulevard every single night? Yeah, you bet your fucking ass I did. Absolutely. Like their crispy rice is the best crispy rice that has ever existed. But do I have $100 to spend on sushi? Uh, I do. But do I want to prioritize that? No. So it was like this constant, it really was a constant battle though. Every time I got like a big job, so I had like consistent money that went to, I had it covered by like my monthly expenses. So I found out my monthly expenses and I made sure that that was covered. And then anything over that would go towards debt. So every single time I got a big website or something like that, it pained me. It I had to go through it every single time. Like people think I'm just like blissfully throwing uh, just, ah, uh, it feels so good. No, it felt like taking something from my actual skin and ripping it off. I was like, I earned that money. Like I'm going to, and I was like, well, it's going to feel really good when what I'm earning is actually my money or else damn it. Which is then what I, I was like, this tug of war constantly with myself where I was like, okay, it's okay. And so like my actual bank account would be pretty low sometimes. And I had to get really good with money because of that too, because I didn't leave a lot of money in my bank account to just go spend on freaking crispy rice at Katsuya. Yeah. Which I would do. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, what do I, what do I want to talk about within this? Um, in the Patreon community, we've had some good conversations about, uh, money that are going to continue in the next few months. And sort of one of the questions that I posed to the community was, okay, we all say that we want people to be more open and honest about money, about their finances, but what does that actually mean? Like what specifically are you curious about? And it was awesome to see that, like, I mean, so many comments, so many questions people were saying, you know, I want people to be honest about what their income is and how they make that work for them. I want people to be honest about their current debt, not just what the number is, but how they feel about it. I want people to be honest about where their income comes from. Is it, is it salary that they earn? Is it an inheritance? Is it like, did their family help them? I want to know how, you know, people handle their finances with their partner, like all of those specifics, right? Like start to come out. Um, and one of my favorite questions that was asked that I would love for you to answer was, um, 
the question of where are people not spending their money? Like, and this person said, looking at social media, someone might look really extravagant in one area of their life, but they're actually, you know, really consciously compromising by spending little or nothing in another area. So I'd love to hear what that looks like for you, because you like were, you got to this point, you paid off the consumer debt, you, you know, saved the money that you guys needed to have in order to get your visas. You've moved to Paris, which I think is one of those social media things that it would be very easy for people to make assumptions about your life or your wealth or whatever from the also you just have a great artistic eye and all your photos are beautiful, right? So it's like easy for people to make assumptions. So can you talk about that a little bit, like where you guys are consciously not spending money so that you can prioritize spending it somewhere else? Yes. So the biggest, so when I was getting out of debt, the biggest place I didn't spend money, um, this wasn't the exact question, but I'll talk about it. I got myself a $20 gym membership. That was a big one because gyms in LA could be very expensive. So I went to the shitty gym and just told myself that it's okay because all I need is the equipment and that's it. And little things like that where I the was able to The weights weigh the same amount at the nice gym that they do at the shitty gym. Right. Yeah. Like <laughs> 20 pounds, still 20 pounds, right. it's still a treadmill. Like, come on. Um, so, and the other thing was we never upgraded our apartment. So no matter how, uh, the biggest thing that I resisted was lifestyle inflation because I was making good money and we, I mean, we both were and we could have upgraded our apartment very easily and it, but yet I wasn't, I didn't want to do that. Like I, we resisted that constantly, even though, you know, everyone around us was getting like marble countertops and all that stuff. I was like, I am not going to do lifestyle inflation. I'm just not going to do that. Like I want this money that we have left over to be in a savings account, not like spent elsewhere. So that was a big thing. So, but in Paris, um, the big thing is we're not spending money on clothes. So part of it was we just don't have enough suitcases, but we didn't send anything here. We took like a suitcase, a big suitcase and a half each. So we had three big suitcases in total and we had to fit all our shoes and all our clothes for every season into that suitcase. And who knows, we might order some clothes or we might get some things, but it's not a top priority at all. So the winter jacket is being worn every single day. So every single picture is with me and that winter jacket. And I'm like, okay, this is how it's going to be. Like I did, we bought some new things, but we went really basic so that we could wear things over and over. Like I am so sick of my clothes already, but oh, well, that's okay. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be okay about that. I'm just not going to, we're not going to like spend all our money on clothes because I would rather us go to Amsterdam than buy a new pair of shoes. So even though everyone's cool and stylish here, I'm very much resisting the urge to like be Parisian like them. Like as it turns out, jeans with holes in them, like distressed jeans, not cool here. In LA, very cool. So I have two pairs of jeans that are in my four pairs of jeans. It's like I don't have a lot of jeans that have distressing. So what? Oh, well, got to wear them like not going to just buy new jeans just to keep up with that. And so little things like that are making a big difference. And also our apartment is very small. Like 
right now there I don't have a door there's not a door on our bedroom the shower is like too small for me to even like shave my legs in it um the kitchen is tiny it is a lot smaller than our place in LA but we're in Paris so there's like a mindset shift there where I'd rather be able to walk outside of my apartment and be like connected to everything in Paris than have the apartment we had in LA. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other big thing is like, we don't have cars now. So we still have Hossem's car um, that we, we are paying off, but like, that's about it. I mean, we gave back my car, our car insurance is very low because we don't need, we're not using it. And so that was a big thing too, where just by virtue of being in Paris and why we chose Paris was like, we would like to use our feet as transportation and feel and remember how that feels. And that's been a big change. And so little things like, okay, I'm tired. I don't want to walk. I'm going to take an Uber. No, we gave up our cars for this reason. Like walk, put your feet down and walk, you know, Mm -hmm. like little things like that make a big difference, but that's not the choice that I would have chosen before. So that's a lot of the things that I think about now where I'm like, I don't need to. And like, we're, it's hard to grocery shop here, but we are prioritizing not to like eat out every single meal, even though it's like amazing to eat here. They have the best food here, but you know, we have plenty of time to eat everything in sight. So there's little things that we're doing that even though it looks like, I mean, I don't mean to make it look that way on social media that we're like living some lavish life, but like Paris is beautiful. And the thing that is amazing about Paris that we knew about Paris was that it's a very livable city for the average person. It is so available. Like even today, before we talked, I took a walk along the Seine, like, which is just 10 minutes outside my, outside my door. And there's like benches everywhere. There's chairs. There's like a playground for kids. It's just all available and it's beautiful. It's not like there's a lot of pressure to spend a lot of money. Whereas in LA, I felt that it's a city for wealthy people. There's just like so much wealth in LA. It is like very much catered to having a lot of money. And I feel like even if I did have that amount of money, I don't want to feel like I'm always trying to keep up. So I have tried to shift my mindset a lot where it's like, I I want nice things, but I don't want to be like controlled by the desire for nice things either. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. I mean, and it also goes into choosing a place to live that's aligned with what you want, right? Like someone else might have a different experience of LA and maybe not or a different experience of Paris, but it's like looking at, okay, what do I want? Where do I feel that way? Where do most of the boxes get checked? And like, let me do that as a next step, which, yeah, I mean, I love that. It's Well, also, it's interesting to hear you talk about, it sounds like it sounds from what you're saying like you and Hossam are on the same page in terms of how you guys are going to budget, how you guys are going to do that. Can you talk a little bit about what works for you two in terms of how you handle finances together? Like how often you talk about it? Who's sort of in charge of what? Because I think this is, a, well, I don't think I know just from within our community, this is something that comes up a lot that, that people are interested in how other couples handle stuff. And just from the little bit of sharing that's happened within the community, it's clear that people do tons of different things in tons of different ways. Some people like, you know, one person makes a lot more money. One person's more in charge of the money. Some people have regular financial meetings. Some people don't just there's, I mean, there's no right or wrong way to do it, but can you talk a little bit about what works right now for you guys or how you guys do it? 
Yeah, definitely. So we have gotten to a place where we can very openly talk about money and we have very similar goals. Part of the reason that I eventually started to feel very uncomfortable with debt is because Hossem was very uncomfortable with debt. He did not feel it. So he's from Tunisia and they don't have it. They're like a developing country. So in developing countries, there's not a lot of opportunity to like, you know, take out loans. They don't like, it's just not a thing. Like you can't buy a car and like pay payments. Really? You can't, you don't get credit cards. You don't owe the government money. You just don't do that. And so his experience with debt is a lot different because it made him very and it started having me think, I was like, why am I so comfortable with this? Why do I, why am I like, okay with having this consumer debt and these types of things. And so I really started to, to see that about the difference in us. And that made us very much on the same page in terms of like, okay, here are our goals. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're saving towards. And now, you know, a big thing that we're saving towards is eventually maybe one day, like own something and start building up that kind of investment. And that kind of, um, lifestyle is to, you know, like my, um, my family's very into real estate and they have, I, I have a lot of resources for that. So eventually that would be a really cool thing to, for us to both get into. But um, we both are very much on the same page. And like we got on the same page because of this lifestyle change in Paris of both wanting the same thing. We were like, we want to be out of our cars. We want to walk. We want to be active. We want to just enjoy life more in a more simple way and not be so in the LA lifestyle. Like we both just got very clear together on that. And it, it makes it, uh, I mean, it took a lot of conversations. It's not like it just happened and we were both on the same page, but you know, when, when we were honest with each other, that's what happened. And it was a really good, it, it actually has strengthened our relationship to have made this decision together and not feel like one is pulling the other or one wants to do something else or whatnot. Like, and now we we're just really prioritized and like saving money and also traveling like, we can go anywhere by train. We want to take advantage of that. So there's just now we're handling it that way in terms of like we can we can talk about money very honestly, whereas that wasn't always the case. It was always a little bit fraught, like it took time to build to that together. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think that that's good to hear too, just that you can sort of like change your communication around it or that this thing like is in constant evolution. It's not like like you and your partner either have a good relationship with money or you don't, right? Like it's that these things aren't static. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, the one thing people don't talk about when it comes to compatibility is like you can you can grow with that. Like that's I yeah. mean there's this very, there's, there is this prevalent idea in terms of relationships and people and everything is like that we're all just so fixed. It's like, you can change. I mean, you can, there are things that can evolve if you just give it some time. If you're mad at each other, or mad at yourself all the time, not much evolvement is going to happen, but like it can shift. You can be able to like, 
combat compatibilities can change because like compatibilities can change with friendships. They can change within yourself. They can change in work. They can change how, why would it not be that that would change in relationships too? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Totally. So one of the last things that I want to ask you before we start to wrap up, because obviously you shared a lot of sort of the building blocks of how you got to where you are right now, like looking at the last year, can you share, um, I don't know if goals are the right word or intentions. Basically, I'm curious about what feels most important to you this year, whether it's like you mentioned, you know, paying off your student loans. Um, are there a couple of things that stand out at like specific things? Obviously, I know the continued emphasis on like feeling happy and, you know, all of that. But are there a couple of things that you're like, yeah, this is on my priority list for this year? Yes, I want to continue to get into a very, very, very solid place with my business where I feel that I've built something very sustainable that I don't have to constantly be like, well, what am I doing now? And what am I doing now? Like, I don't want to be in that indecision. Um, I'm also prioritizing starting a podcast with my friend Jessica. So if you enjoyed this, you might enjoy my podcast. I'm super, I'm super actually, yeah. Can you just uh, give kind of a little summary? I know it's brand new and it's a new project, but A, I love podcasts. B, I love you. So I'm really excited about this. (laughs) Yeah. So my friend Jessica and I have been like very, very good friends for 22 years. So we are starting a podcast together called Feeling Feelings which of course is perfect because we feel a lot of feelings and it's going to be conversations about the highs and lows of being an artist and a person. But a lot of it is going to have to do with creativity and money and happiness and all those juicy things. And it's going to be out early May. Um, So that's a big thing because definitely putting a big commitment on that instead of, um, you know, not instead of not prioritizing it. Like I really want to have that project, Um, And then in general, I really want to like be very present here in Paris and enjoy it and make sure that I'm balancing responsibility and the things that we need to, you know, exist and have a, have a roof over our heads, but also make sure that I'm leaving enough time to, make sure to just have an incredible experience. So, uh, you know, making sure that I'm in the moment for it instead of like, I'm thinking about this or thinking about this. So that's just taking good time management. And cause I have big goals and big ambitions that feel really rooted in what I want my life to be, but I also want to enjoy where I'm at too. Mm -hmm. So there's just that, that's the, Oh, this is a balance for, forever, but it feels like a very important balance that I'm dealing with, that I'm prioritizing in 2018. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really clear from anyone who's paying attention. I think it's really interesting, just kind of like the last thing I want to touch on that now that you are back on social media, and I'm sure a lot of that comes from the fact that you broke that story that you were telling yourself that you need it and you need to use social media in order to be happy or successful or make money or whatever. Like now that that's not true, it doesn't hold that same kind of power. Not that some stuff doesn't still come up, but I really like watching you, especially in your Instagram stories, document just like your day-to-day almost like mundane experience of Paris it's kind of like the idea of like finding beauty in like the everyday things and I wonder if for you or it seems like your experience of doing that is maybe helping you to be more present it's sort of like how I feel about using Instagram wall hike like while on long distance hiking I've had some people say don't you feel like using technology like takes you out of nature takes you out of the moment and for whatever reason whether it's because I'm 
you know, like a writer or whatever, like documenting the experience somehow helps me feel more present with it. I don't know. So I'm like interested to watch you continue to do that and see how that feels. It's definitely true. I mean, and it's not for anybody. It's really cool. I've just like, I want to, I think it's amazing to be here and I don't want to take it for granted. And I, I just, even if it's not Paris or anywhere, I just don't want to take my life for granted. So I want to make sure that I'm seeing where there is beauty instead of being like, well, I'm at the Eiffel Tower and the rest of the week when I have to work, it sucks. It's like, no, I want to like experience. So I'm taking time out of my day to like, like we, I, I messed up the time for this call. So I had an extra hour or actually like an hour and a half. <laughs> and so I was like, I'm going to go take a walk. And I like, went and took a walk along the Seine because I just like, it's like, I want to be out and enjoying this. And that's a shift that has definitely happened due to this focus. And also I was like, I want to share this. This is cool. And it's not in anything to be like, Oh, look at how great my life is. It's just like, this is cool. Like, I can't believe I get to do this. But the tone comes across is what I'm saying that like, it's very clear, like paying attention to you that you're someone who's actively appreciating your life. And like that, I also feel like that's just like lovely to watch. It's like a way to use social media. Like, oh, someone's like marking their life and is appreciative. And it's, I don't know, it's nice. So I, I selfishly, especially because I have no idea when I'm going to see you again now. (laughs) Like, I like that you're sharing so much on Instagram. So thanks for that. Um, Okay. So as you know, the way that we wrap these up are um, with sort of a series of rapid fire ish questions. Your answers don't have to be, but basically the members of the Patreon community, the awesome folks who fund the show, put forward some questions. There's seven of them. So basically all eight guests this season are answering the same seven questions if you're down to answer seven random questions. (laughs) Yes, let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, What's your favorite thing to eat for breakfast lately? Oh, uh, runny eggs and a fresh baguette. Yes. Um, What's the one thought that gives you the most butterflies right now? Like when you think about it, you get all excited and tingly, maybe even a little bit nervous. Should I live in Paris forever? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I will come back and visit you again in Paris. So (laughs) sure. (laughs) Um, What's one belief or opinion that you feel like you've done a total 180 on something that you used to believe, but that you no longer do? Mm. So I'm probably drawing a blank because it's 8.30 p.m. here. And I've just spilled everything that I could think of in my brain. But (laughs) I mean, the big thing is like, it doesn't have to be that the way that it's always been. It's you're allowed to change and you're allowed and it's okay to be happy. Like it's also, it's really is okay to be happy and without drama. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. That's so good. Right. The power of allowing yourself to be happy. It's so good. Right. Um, what's something that you are finding frustrating right now, like a particular thing or an area of your life that, um, feels challenging. Uh, eating healthy. It's, um, I'm not used to the grocery stores here and that has been like getting into a food routine is very important to me and I just have not been able to find my footing. So that's very frustrating, even though it, it's like I'm in this like food capital of the world. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about money a bunch. What's one thing that you consider worth splurging on? Mm. 
a Gucci bag. <laughs> You're getting this Gucci bag. That's what's coming out of this. Oh, this I'm bug getting is. this damn Gucci bag. <laughs> right. Our birthday's what, in two months? Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, next question is about books. Which two or three books, any kind of book, any genre, would you say have either had the biggest impact on you or that you recommend or reread most often? Well, The War of Art, Stephen Pressfield, that like definitely was a big change, big, big change. Um, I got to say at the time within the context, like Eat, Pray, Love completely changed my life. Um, And I, oh, What Alice Forgot was a novel that like was the most, I loved that novel. It's by the same author who wrote Big Little Lies. And What Alice Forgot is so good. And I read it in a whole day in a hotel room in Palm Springs and cried so hard in like good ways. I love it. Um, Last question. If you could leave our community, the listeners with one call to action, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take? What would you do differently if your main and only priority was to feel good and be happy? Mm. So good. Um, So what's the best place for people to find you and your work and say hi online? Do you have a favorite way to connect with new people? Yes, it used to be Twitter and Facebook, but now it's Instagram. Ah, it's changed. Um, Definitely Instagram at Jamie Varen. Um, My design company is at Shatterbox Design, which is really fun because I'm posting like really all my things I'm inspired by, which is quite a bit. Um, But I'm still on Facebook and I'm still on Twitter. I just, that's a little bit infrequently. I don't, I don't post as frequently there. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I will put links to all of that in the show notes. Jamie, you're the best. I love you. Thank you so much. Love you too. Thank you. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. Speaking of the Real Talk Radio family, I wanted to give a huge shout out to Adam Day, my producer and sound engineer. Adam created the music for this show, and he makes everything work and flow and sound way better than I ever could on my own. You can find him and his music and his sound editing work at adamday.net. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is now a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by awesome people like Wes. Hi, Wes. Hello. You ready to answer some random questions? Yes. <laughs> You're like, yes, I've been training. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, Let's go. My favorite question at first, what are you totally obsessed with right now? Well, there's actually two things. A podcast called Cocaine and Rhinestones. Cocaine and, and my- Rhinestones. Okay, hold on. What's that about? Because that's a great title. <laughs> okay. It's uh, a podcast about 20th century country music and the people who lived it. And even if you don't like country music... If you listen to one of the podcasts, you'll be hooked. This, the guy that does it, uh, his dad um, is a famous country singer, uh, David Allen Coe, and th- this is his son doing this. And so he's been exposed to all the real stories, and it is fascinating. And yeah, it's just fascinating because he's a great storyteller, and the stories he t- talks about go way back to the 20s all the way up till now and you would be surprised how a lot of this affects life today 
So interesting. I, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm not usually country music isn't my thing, but good storytelling is, and that's already a great podcast yeah. name. And so yeah. I'm in. Okay, I'll check it out. And you said there's something else too. Yeah, uh, planning all the concerts I'm going to go to this summer. Hmm. So, so you're a music person, I take it. I am a uh, a music person that I I enjoy music. I cannot do music, but I enjoy music. (laughs) That's how I feel about most art of any kind. So I hear you. Um, All right. If you could go back five years and give your slightly younger self some advice, what would it be? I would say, remember what you're really up to at least once a week and be on track more often than not. Mm, ugh, that's such good advice. I love the more often than not too, because it's so easy to fall into the trap of thinking it has to be all or nothing. But it's like what you do most of the time matters more than what you only do once in a while. And so if it's like more often than not, progress gets made. Yes. Yeah, I love it. Um, when or in what situation do you feel most yourself? Like when you're totally in your zone and you feel like you're being really you, what are you doing? It's a good question. When I'm in the zone, it's when I'm unencumbered from the minutia. And I'm working on something that is going to have a major impact for either a client or a team member. And I'm engaged and it, it's, then things seem multidimensional and I can bring, it just seems like I'm able to bring everything together. Um, difficult for me to get there because the day-to-day stuff sometimes washes over and it's like, wow, I started at seven o'clock this morning and all of a sudden, man, it is eight or nine o'clock. I go, what happened? Yeah, right. What happened? Email, email happened. (laughs) Yeah. I made the mistake of looking at it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yo, listen, I've been there. (laughs) I love that. Um, What's one new thing that you would love to try this year? Let's see. I, what I would here's what I'm working on this year. There's uh, I'm getting complete with some trust and legal things from my parents, and so th- once that is done, I am going to get to move on. And one of the things that my wife and I are going to do is put together another trip that ties in our entire family. 2017, we figured out a way to take everybody and go on a trip to New Zealand. So the new thing is just do that every couple of years. And instead of it being one big trip that's supposed to be some bucket list thing, it's figure out what we can put together that some people in the family want to go do. And so right now, it's looking like Iceland, Norway, and Greenland. Well, New Zealand and Iceland are probably my top two bucket list destinations. So if you're looking for new adopted family members, (laughs) you're welcome to come. You'd have to put up with us, though. I'm not sure how that would go. Vice versa. Um, Okay, the last question. What's one thing that you wish people were more open and honest about? I wish they were honest about really where they're at emotionally. Uh, It's whether it's clients, whether it's team members, whether it's friends, sometimes the facade just so gets in the way um, and it slows down communication and it slows down the ability to have impact because sometimes I have difficulty um, being of any use to people when they're just not clear that whether they're an upset or 
there's a difficult conversation or whether there's an opportunity, but they're afraid to bring it up. So I wish people were just really clear on what their emotions are and where they're at at any particular moment, because it's, it's all okay. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I love this. I feel like that's like a little pep talk. I could like re-listen to your answer to that question over and over again. It's so good. Um, so you're a member of our Patreon support squad, which means that you are one of the people that listeners can thank for making this podcast possible since you make a powerful reoccurring pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show each season, for which I am very grateful. And I would love for you to share why you decided to support the show. Well, Nicole, when I heard the first podcast, I think it was during the season where you were talking about Patreon and you, you had a goal. And as I listen and based upon my world, I understand how difficult it is to create content. It's, it's, it's actually a combination of skill uh, combined with hard work and it's a little bit of magic and it is hard to do. And I just know that it takes time and it takes effort and it takes resources. And I, I go, for me to continue to be able to listen to something that I'm finding valuable and useful, um, it, it seemed like it, it's an easy thing for me to decide to do. Content costs money. Uh, you, you had a, uh, a post in one of your um, uh, Notes of Grit and Grace that came out sometime in uh, August last year. And it basically said, joy costs pain. Well, if I just take the first two words, joy costs that's right. And so it was easy for me to um, uh, decide to be a Patreon supporter of uh, your podcast. It, it, it just seems so It was easy. Thanks. Yeah. It's always, it's funny that the reason, I mean, it's delightful for me to hear the reason, the different reasons. I've had some people say that they, they're like, I don't even listen to podcasts. I just joined to get the Friday emails. And it's funny, yeah. like of the people, you know, obviously some emails wind up getting a lot of responses. And, you know, there's always, I would say I could, if I sat down and thought about it, there's probably 25 people in the community that, you pretty regularly respond to emails and it's always delightful for me because I feel like we have an ongoing correspondence and you're one of those people. And so it's always great to get your perspective and especially because you've been getting emails and we've been emailing for a while now that it's been over like a long period of time. Yeah. That, 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 that stuff that shows up, that, that note that shows up on Fridays, uh, you're right. I, I would just for that, it's, it's completely worth, uh, the, 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 the cost. However, um, I was intrigued by the email that came out today about the book club. I'm not, I don't typically don't engage in that. That The book that you have there, I, I'm, I'm looking at that one. So, um, But yeah, that, that grit and grace, I, I appreciate your willingness to, to share where you're at and tie it in with certain things that make sense to me. And I usually find something that I can either get reminded to be back on track or I can take action on. So I appreciate the effort you put into that. Thanks for saying that. And to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want over 40 hours of bonus content, plus lots of other fun opportunities and extras, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette to make your pledge of $8 or more for each eight episode season. I can't tell you how much your support means to me, and it'll be so much fun to get to know you better after you've joined our community. Maybe we can even record a future outro together like this one. So until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this together.